Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God for our special consideration this morning is our second lesson, Galatians 2, 11-16, is printed in your bulletins and already read. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, imagine that you are doing a man-on-the-street survey or interview. You ask people that you meet at a park or a mall or some such place, what they imagine a sermon in a Christian church titled, Watch Out, is likely to be about. What answers would you expect? I think most non-Christians would give answers like, avoid bad people and don't do bad things. They would assume that the purpose of the sermon would be to instruct the faithful to be better people, which they would assume is the goal of any decent religion. And they would assume that the the preacher's intent is to warn fellow believers about people, things, situations, and activities that might influence them the wrong direction or even outright make them bad. Sadly, I think... Most Christians would also assume that a sermon titled, Watch Out, would be focused on bad things to avoid in order to be better. They might add some more nuance to it, perhaps a reference to biblical standards or morality, to spiritual enemies like the devil, or to eternal rewards beyond just being better in the here and now. A minority of Christians might actually remember some specific words of Jesus, the prophets or the apostles, that tell us to watch out for false teachers and false teachings. But our three readings today, and especially the example given to us here in Galatians 2, remind us that the watching out of believers, or that believers want to focus on, is not so much about looking out for what is bad as it is keeping our focus on what is good, godly, and gracious so that the bad has no appeal or influence and our enemies pose no threat. Of course, watching out does involve avoiding what is contrary to God's will and dangerous to our faith. But the best way to achieve that is by looking beyond any merely moralistic avoiding of evil or doing of good to the grace of God that not only makes us His children, but provides an infinitely better alternative to every other way, old or new, of living our lives and establishing our hope for eternity. Now, the first thing that Paul wants the Galatians and us to watch out for is works. Now, he is certainly not saying what preachers of the gospel have sometimes been accused of saying, hey, you're a Christian, forget about doing good, just do whatever you feel like. No, he is warning believers against the very real and constant temptation to start looking to the good that we do and the evil that we avoid as the reason for our righteousness which has things exactly backwards. 
As the Apostle says here, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Christians love to do good because they have been made good. We do not make ourselves good by doing good. The way of the law, whether we're talking about the law of Moses or of the Pharisees that the Jews struggled to follow, or the way of any other moral code, ancient or modern, it does not have the power to gain for anyone the thing that everyone needs more than anything. God's judgment that we are righteous and innocent and thus qualified to spend eternity with Him in heaven instead of joining the devil and his demons in hell. That is what we deserve because we are all sinners who sin. God did not create us that way or want us that way, but when our first parents chose to follow their own will over His, they doomed us all to corruption. And since then, every person conceived in a sinful mother by a sinful father is a sinful child. And we all do what sinners do. Sin. We disobey our parents as children, and as adults, we disobey those in authority over us. We seek and take for ourselves what isn't ours to have. We hurt others, lie to and about them, and we call true what is false and false what is true. Most of all, we refuse to trust in and rebel against the Almighty, foolishly pretending that we know better than He does and can get away with disobeying the God who sees all and knows all. And as our reading from Ezekiel reminded us, the price of sin is death. Not just physical death, but the spiritual death that is eternal separation from the love and goodness of God in hell. Which is not what we want for ourselves, and not what God wants for any sinner. His justice demands payment for disobedience, for evil, for rebellion. But His love for us from eternity, determined to give us what we don't deserve, salvation. So He sent His one and only Son to become one of us, to take our place in living a life of perfect righteousness, and to take our place in paying for every person's life of sin. Jesus suffered and was put to death on the cross, and the sacrifice of the one and only Son of God satisfied the justice of God. God raised Him from the dead on the third day, and now all who put their trust in Christ and what He did for sinners are justified declared not guilty of sin, and given His own perfect righteousness to be their own. And it is because of that grace of God toward us, for us, and in us, that we now, as His beloved and redeemed children, do what is good and right in His eyes. 
We do it because this is who we are in Christ. We do it because it brings glory to our loving Lord. And we do it because it pleases the God who was pleased to save us, to call us His own, and to give us eternal life with Him in heaven. And so, since we believe in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and since we know that we are not made righteous by the works of the law, we will look out for and oppose anyone who teaches or even suggests by example that they, we, or anyone will be justified by the works of the law. We watch out for workers. In the story that Paul tells in our text, there are some people who came from James. This means that they came to the church in the city of Antioch, where Paul was living, from the church in Jerusalem, where James was recognized as the leader. It is important to note that Paul does not say that James sent these people, just that they came from and perhaps presumed to carry his authority. But they clearly did not practice what James would have preached. They were of the party of of Jewish believers who could not quite wrap their minds around the freedom that Christ gave all people when he redeemed us. They were happy to accept that Jesus was their Messiah and that he had taken away their sins, but they still felt that it was necessary to hold on not only to their Jewish identity, but also to their Jewish laws and obligations. They insisted that being circumcised remained very important. They insisted that Jews should not mix and let alone eat with Gentiles. They insisted that the Jewish festivals and Sabbath needed to be observed and that a Jewish diet must be followed. And while many of them no doubt said something like, this This is what we Jews who follow Christ do. You Gentiles, do whatever. While they may have said that, the actual message that all of this sent to their non-Jewish fellow believers was something like, "We, we are better Christians than you are because of the things that we do and don't do. And if you really want to follow Christ the right way, well, you should do what we do. Live like a Jew. There are still such workers in the church today. They are mostly not Jewish, but the basic message is the same. They tell those who have embraced the freedom of the gospel that they aren't really that free after all. That obedience to certain laws is necessary to be a proper Christian and to have a true confidence in salvation. Some churches teach this outright, but often this happens more subtly as Weaker believers are influenced by the bad examples of those who present themselves as stronger or better 
because of their works. But we need to identify, call out, and oppose such workers as, as Paul did with Peter and as Luther did with the Reformation. Even a well-intentioned or, or ignorant adoption of such ideas is hypocrisy, a very strong word that Paul uses twice in describing what had happened in Antioch. It's hypocritical because it is claiming to rely on Christ for salvation as a believer, but in reality it is relying on the the quantity and quality of one's obedience for one's righteousness as a worker. And it is hypocritical because the gospel of Christ is a message of freedom, but a reliance on works is a return to bondage. So we must avoid and oppose any kind of teaching, spoken or subtle, that says, sure, faith alone in Jesus alone is good and all that, but if you really want to make sure that God loves you, this is what you should do. Such a message is not neutral. It is not loving to other believers. And it is not something to be tolerated among us, especially not in the name of Christian charity. Imagine the courage that it took for Paul to oppose Peter, prominent among the apostles, to his face in front of all the other believers in Antioch. But he did it. Because there, not acting according to the truth of the gospel, was putting the salvation of everyone at risk, both Jew and Gentile. Something that anyone whose focus is on the grace of God in Christ for sinners should and would never do. But don't think that our watching out all has some kind of negative or hostile purpose or is a a mission to search out and destroy enemies in the church. The love that God showed us in Christ is the love that we show to others. And in today's gospel, Jesus outlined how that love motivates us in dealing with fellow Christians in error. Love for our brothers and sisters means that we watch out for our fellow watchers. Christ didn't set up two categories of believers, those who look out for other Christians and those who don't. No, instead, we are all called to be watchmen, to observe, to guide, to protect, and then to correct when necessary, as we see that Paul did with his fellow apostle Peter, and we assume with his fellow missionary Barnabas, and with all the other Christians in Antioch. For some reason, people in our world today, and this has carried over into the church, have the idea, idea that to offer a correction, let alone a rebuke, is one of the worst things that you can do to a fellow human being, especially if it's someone you claim to care about. You're wrong, and this is dangerous, are seen as having no other meaning than, I hate you. 
But the truth is exactly the opposite. To give a warning when someone is caught up in a sin or entertaining false beliefs, risking hell, is an act of deep and often courageous love. To ignore a a family member's damnable errors or a fellow church member's ungodly choices is not doing what is best for them, but is giving in to fear. Fear that they might get mad or say bad things about you. Or fear that your mourning just might not be listened to. But love means that we watch out for each other. And watching means we warn when we see danger. So let us follow Paul's example and Ezekiel's instructions and Christ's teachings. Let us be the watchmen and watchwomen that we have been called to be as we live and act according to the truth of the gospel. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And holding on to that belief and righteousness and helping others hold on to that belief and righteousness is pretty much the most important thing there is to do. So stand firm on the gospel. Keep your grip on grace. Watch out. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.